<laughs> Philip Rivers. 39-year-old Philip Rivers. You know, this might just be his moment. LA Chargers. Sizzling hot LA Chargers. Winners of six of their last seven. The defense has been stifling. Bosa's back. Offense is putting up eye-popping numbers. Rivers playing out of his mind. The LA Chargers. One game back of the AFC West. Behind Kansas City. In the thick of things in the AFC playoff picture. One of the dangerous teams. <laughs> and we welcome you guys here inside of our broadcast booth. Here in the Sebi's Podcast Show with your host Sebi here. We got a lot of things to talk about. We'll recap week 13 action in the NFL. We'll look ahead in some of the most dangerous teams in both conferences. The contenders and the pretenders. And also get into some talks about the college football rankings. They came out last night. And we'll look ahead of championship week. But first, my opening segment today, guys, is proud and sponsored by Discount Tire Shop. Discount Tire Shop, the official tire shop of Sebi's podcast. Oil change, mechanical issues, tires changing, whatever it may be. You might want to get your next car maintenance at Discount Tire Shop. And this is my opening segment here in Sebi's podcast. What a weekend in the NFL. You know, I've always said late December, late November, late early December, or when you're riding through early January, this is where you get to see the contenders and the pretenders, the teams that start to separate themselves from the pack. And, and we have seen some. You know, when you talk about the NFC, you can't talk about the NFC if you don't start about the top creme of the creme. That would be the Saints and the LA Rams each a 10 and one looking like they're the super bowl favorites to represent in the afc nfc should i say and and there are some other teams as well when you the the chicago bears are right there their defense i know a lot of teams aren't really fond of mitchell trubisky i think the jury's still on him but he is progressing undoubtedly bat is the guy for him and then when you look at the other side of the conference in the afc you got your normals, Pittsburgh, although they lost to Denver. You got New England Patriots, Andy Reid's Kansas City Chiefs. And then you've got the dark horses in the NFC. The Seattle Seahawks, Pete Carroll's Seattle Seahawks. Dangerous, <laughs> tough team. Uh, not your typical wildcard team. And then in the other side, you got the Red Hot. And I mean, eight in a row for the Texans. Now, they're not a wild card team. If the playoffs were to happen today, they would be the three seed and division champions in the AFC South. But still, not your typical team that you think that would come out of the AFC. And then you've got the LA Chargers. The LA Chargers, what they've done behind the catalyst himself and Phillip Rivers, 39-year-old Phillip Rivers. Melvin Gordon is running the football out of his mind. Now, he did tear his MCL. He might be out for a couple weeks. But I do expect them to come back before the playoffs so the Chargers could potentially make a playoff run. And then Bosa and Ingram, you could argue that's probably the best two tandem defensive ends in the NFL attacking your quarterback, trying to get sacks. 
And then in the back end, a guy that doesn't get a lot of love in Casey Hayward, a legitimate number one shutdown corner. And then the rookie himself out of Florida State in Duran James. Chargers, a very, very dangerous team. <clears throat> and we look at things now. And you ask yourself, okay, if you're looking at the top two or three teams and you're, you you want to pick a dark horse team against them, you know, for instance, in the NFC, you got the Rams and the Saints. But you want to pick a dark horse that could potentially make a playoff run if they get hot. Um, examples like the 20, 2007 Giants or the 2011 Giants, Eli Manning, or in AFC, a great example would be the 2012 Baltimore Ravens when Joe Flacco and co got hot. So you're looking for a team that you're going against the field. And here are my sneaky dark horse contenders. Dangerous Pete Carroll and the Seattle Seahawks. Now I know Seattle's not the same team. You know, the Legion boom isn't there. No more Cam Chancellor, no more Richard Sherman uh, for that fact of the matter. Uh, Jeremy Lane in the slot corner isn't there. That, that where they could just line up and just, you could audible all you want. They could just line up in personnel and just take away anything you do as in terms of your aerial attack passing. They don't have that type of firepower in the back end anymore. Earl Thomas is still there. I still think he's one of the best safeties in the NFL, but they're just not who they were back then. But the Seattle Seahawks, if there was any time that a team should be playing championship football, it would be right now. And here's why. Russell Wilson, I believe he's a tier two quarterback in the NFL. His postseason numbers and 12 starts in the postseason, he's eight and four. Five of those eight wins that he's had has been on the road. <clears throat> and you ask yourself, if you want a quarterback to go into hostile environments, to go into the confines of the Mercedes Superdome to beat the Saints, to go into the confines of Soldier Field in Chicago to beat the Bears, to go into the confines of the LA Coliseum to beat the Rams, it's a quarterback-driven league, guys. You need a quarterback, especially in the postseason. And if he isn't that good, Russell Wilson is a good, as good as he gets. You know, he is right now the man and the catalyst that drives that Seattle Seahawks, that force, especially in the offensive side of football. They've been running the ball very well with Rashad Penny, their third-round draft pick. And, you know, you've just seen a different side of these Seattle Seahawks in past weeks. You know, they've got back into their identity, stopping the run, trying to get after the quarterback and running the football and running the football with Rashad Minnie, running the football with Russell Wilson, whether that be in the pistol or whether that be in read option type personnel. And then, you know, you got to have a defense. Now, the defense isn't what it was back then, which I've previously addressed. But you still got playmakers. You got the Earl Thomases. You've got the Bobby Wagners. Cliff Averill can still get after the quarterback. Now, Michael Bennett isn't there, but they still have some playmakers that can potentially make some plays. And then 
one of the most underrated things in the postseason. Coaching. Coaching. And I still believe that Pete Carroll is still one of the top tier coaches in the NFL and undoubtedly in the NFC. You know, Matt Nagy, he's good. He doesn't have the experience. Sean Payton, he's up there. He's won a Super Bowl ring with Drew Brees. What they've been and what they've done throughout their tenure out there in New Orleans is second to none. But you look at all the opposite teams. What other coach and a playoff scenario that you'd rather have than Pete Carroll? And I know you ask yourself, you're like, did you see what he did in Super Bowl 49 when he did not run the football with Marshawn Lynch? Okay, granted, you have a good point there. But what has Pete Carroll done since being the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks? They've won a Super Bowl. They've had two Super Bowl appearances. He's a an well over 500 coach. In fact, his winning percentage is at six is .653 as a head coach for the Seattle Seahawks. And you've got familiarity. Familiarity meaning they play in the NFC and they've played these teams. The Seattle Seahawks are a dangerous team because I think right now they're running the football. They're getting after the quarterback and they're stopping the run. Now, their secondary is still suspect, but they do have playmakers like Earl Thomas and then Russell Wilson at the end of the day. You need to make a play. Does, is it, it's, it's as good as it gets. It's not Aaron Rodgers. It's not Tom Brady. It's not Drew Brees. It's conventional. It's your Cam Newtons of the world. It's the read option. It's what Russell Wilson can do with his legs, improvising, buying time in the pocket to get the ball to the Doug Baldwins of the world who's been healthy as of late, to get the ball to the Tyler Lockett's. I'm telling you, the Seattle Seahawks, right now, a sixth seed in the NFC, not your typical wild card, not the team that you want to see. And don't look now. They still have a couple playoff teams in their schedule they have to face. They play Kansas City, which that may be a loss at home, but they do get them at home. The 12th man may be a factor. They play the Vikings at home. So there is still chance that potentially the Seahawks could move up to the fifth seed. Fifth or sixth. Seattle's not a team that any of the dogs in the NFC want to face, especially if they're getting hot. And then when you go outside to the AFC, we know what Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, and the Kansas City Chiefs have done. They're a juggernaut. You know, there's a lot of things schematically that you have to game plan for. Personnel, Mahomes outside of the pocket, trying to contain him inside the pocket. Even through all this success, there's a team in the AFC West that's not been talking about. And that would be Phillip Rivers and the LA Chargers. Phillip Rivers, <laughs> he's your stats guy, you know. He could be losing, he puts up 450. 450 yards, four scores, sometimes a couple picks. 
but it seems right there in the end. But the knock on the LA Chargers is that they never played complimentary football. In complimentary football, meaning they couldn't run the football, all of the things had to be relied on Phillip Rivers, and then they didn't have a defense. Well, maybe this season that's not the case. Melvin Ingram, a bona fide top defensive end. And then you got the other pass rusher, his sidekick and Joey Bosa, who just came back two weeks ago. Denzel Washington, middle linebacker for the LA Chargers. And then in the back end, Casey Hayward and Derwin James. That is a legitimate top seven defense right there. The LA Chargers are scary, man. They can put up points with Phillip Rivers and Melvin Ingram. Melvin Gordon, should I say, running the football. Kenan Allen is an underrated receiver. Mike Williams is starting to come into its own. Although Melvin Gordon has an MCL and he'll be out for a couple games, but I do expect him to come back before the postseason starts. But the LA Chargers sitting at that five spot. That's actually really something to really think about. Really something to think about. Seahawks, Chargers. Both if they get in those wild card spots. If all things play right and they get hot and a lot of things favor them because they do need some help as well. Watch out. And we'll be back here in Sebi's podcast. And we're back here in Sebi's podcast here on WNSC Radio here. The college football rankings came out. This is the second to last one. The next one being the real thing. The college football committee will pick their top four. Last night, as expected, I didn't see any surprises. Alabama, the consensus number one. They've been the best team in college football all year. Nick Saban, Tua Tagovailoa, enough said. Clemson, Dabo Swinney. Making the switch from Kelly Bryant to Trevor Lawrence in the beginning of the season. The defense is still what it is. Travis and TNA running the football. Clemson looking like the team that they are. Always in the thick of things for the national championship birth and then you've got the 12-0 unbeaten Brian Kelly's Notre Dame fighting Irish this this, uh, this is an interesting story Brian Kelly coming into the season in the hot seat you know a porous year last year for the Irish Wimbush as their quarterback he comes back this year with Wimbush but doesn't start him he starts true redshirt sophomore Ian Book as a starting quarterback They're running the football with Daxter Williams The defense has been playing pretty good And he finds himself Perhaps locking a spot In The college football playoffs And then number four 
Michigan lost to Ohio State. <laughs> Michigan lost to Ohio State. That opened the door for Georgia to get in because they were sitting at that five spot. So it was pretty easy to me to figure out what was going to happen. You know, the top three would stay pat as it is. Michigan would slide and Georgia would move up to number four. The top four polls came out last night. As advertised, that's exactly what happened. Alabama one, Clemson two, Notre Dame fighting Irish three, and the Georgia Bulldogs from Athens four. With Oklahoma and Ohio State jumping, leapfrogging, should I say, from 10 to 6. So the two first outs would be Oklahoma at 5, and now Oklahoma State at 6. And Ohio State at 6. Now this is where all of the craziness happens. Championship week this week. Georgia meets Alabama. In Atlanta for the SEC championship game. Georgia wins, mayhem happens. Because if Georgia wins, what do you do with Alabama? Now, Alabama, the name, the brand, I think the committee will find a way to put them in. But then you ask yourself, Georgia beats Alabama, do you put Alabama at four or do you put a Big Ten Ohio State champion or do you put a Big 12 Oklahoma champion at four and a conference champion as well that's where you know uh, this committee thing is 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 just you know corrupt to me I think that they just gotta go to that 18 format Think about this. Think about this scenario. Let's say Alabama loses, which I don't think they will, although I would be rooting for Georgia. But let's say Alabama loses. Northwestern ends up beating Ohio State. And then Texas beats Oklahoma again, which they did earlier on the season. Then what happens? You'll have a one loss. Alabama. You'll have a two loss Ohio State and you'll have a two loss Oklahoma, none in which are conference champion winners. And then you do you put maybe Michigan in UCF in as the top non power five conference. So all of these like, you know, scenarios can happen. So you something to think about. And then this weekend in championship is all is is going to be very interesting. And this is where I, I think that the committee has to go to an eight team, an eight team playoff. Give the first two teams a bye and then let the threes, four, five, six and eights battle it out. Four isn't sufficient enough. There's always going to be. A team that is deserving to get in that's not going to have a chance to get in. Ohio State. They got blasted. And I mean, they got blasted by Purdue. But they went at home, took care of business in the horseshoe, took care of a very good Michigan team. 
Oklahoma, losing to Texas early on at home in a shootout. That doesn't look like a bad loss, right? But if they were to lose again, what would you do? All of these things, you know what I'm saying? And in the case for UCF, UCF has been 24-0. They've been undefeated in the last two seasons. Granted, UCF does not have anywhere near the strength of schedule that the these other top schools do. But they still have a say-so about getting an opportunity. College game day came to Orlando last week in front of a hostile environment and a sellout crowd. And I think they put on a statement against Cincinnati, 38 to 13. What about the Washingtons of the world? Washington, if they win the Pac-12, no, they just went to Washington State. Garden Minshew, Heisman hopeful, looking to get into New York. They went in, they beat them handedly in a snowy game. Miles Gaskin running wild. So if Washington were to get in and all of these scenarios were to happen, what do you do with Washington as a Pac-12 champion? Nah. Even if Alabama lost, we still have to put him in. What would be a playoff without Alabama? That's where that college football bias is just outrageous. And I've always said Nick Saban. Arguably the greatest coach of our generation. Yeah, and I'm putting him up there with the Bill Belichicks, the Greg Popoviches. Nick Saban in my era has been one of the greatest coaches in pro sports in America. And that's not just in college in college football. But I've always said that he has corrupted the minds of NCAA officials. Because of the brand. And that's no knock to what Nick Saban has done. I blame that on the committee. You know? You just get so misled and oblivious to what Alabama does. And you really don't get to see what the other teams do. Now, (laughs) speaking into reality, I don't think Alabama will lose. I will be rooting for Georgia. Because us as consumers, we like parody. We like mayhem. We like the dark, the underdog story. You know, you were doubted. You were forgotten about. You got in. You made a run. You know? So, we all love this in sports. Truth of the matter is, Alabama's just too good. You know? What Nick Saban has done throughout his entire tenure in Alabama getting number one recruiting classes year after year coaching them being the best he getting the best in what they can be and playing that on the field so this top four that I see should stay pat with the exception of Georgia Georgia loses, and now the committee is going to have their talks. Do you put a Big 12 conference champion in Oklahoma in, and barring that they don't lose to Texas, or do you put Ohio State in, barring that they don't lose to Northwestern and slip up? 
But you ask yourself, is four teams really sufficient enough? Because there's always going to be those teams that are deserving to get in, that won't get in. Ohio State gets in. Oklahoma's going to have a fuss. Oklahoma gets in. Urban Meyer and the Buckeyes are going to have a fuss. You know, it's you can never win. You can never win. And this is why I'm all for the eight men, 18 college football scenario. Get eight teams in. Get the top five group of five teams and then three at large bids. One could be the highest rated and top non-power five. And then the two at-large bids from one of the two of the five power five conferences. And then let's duel it out. And then let's have a playoff. And then let's see what happens. It's really something to think about. And this is Sebi's Podcast.